0: Hello, everybody. This is Steve Turk again with the Diecast Movie Review podcast, and I'm lucky to have another conversation for Creator. And today, I'm joined with the star of many different films, but most people probably remember from the Tomb of Ligeia, Elizabeth Shepherd. Thank you so much for joining me, taking time out of the Mid Atlantic Nostalgia Convention to let me interview and talk with you.
1: My pleasure. I I love this convention, and it's so so fun meeting so many people, and being able to. Connect with other people now to talk to.
0: And I just got done seeing you do your Q&A and your live reading of Lygia from your, your new release CD. Yes. And it was wonderful. Oh, I'm
1: glad you enjoyed it. Yes, we um, for, for some time we had been talking about recording the the, the whole of the uh, story uh, and some poems also, some po- poems, um, because... Many, many people love Edgar Allan Poe, and it's wonderful to be able to hear beautiful
0: language. And, uh, and of course, I'm a Baltimore person, so I've been near, I'm really close to where Edgar Allan Poe started in his house. And his yes, yes. And when
1: I was uh, here doing Les Liaisons at the uh, center stage theater here, I had a day of a, my Poe pilgrimage, where um, I went to the grave site and the I w- uh, the statue, I was photographed beside him with the statue and went to the house, of course. So I am a Poe fan
0: myself. And I, I mean, ju- it's just amazing life, amazing creative work that oh, he did. It's and then uh, then yes, then Ex-
1: extraordinary. And his preoccupation with the unconscious mind, you know what happens when we don't really know what's happening, um, and the the uh, story that he the uh, that he wrote about Lygia, the and the way he got inside that opium drug um, longing <laughs> which fueled the uh, perception um, of the return of Lygia, how you can almost Will yourself to make something happen that you long, you so long for.
0: Exactly, and uh, uh, for those that weren't able to be here to hear her do the live rendition, I I've, I own the CD. I haven't had a chance to listen to it because I got it from Miss Shepherd yesterday. But it was just the live rendition was just awesome, and you, uh, it's. I think somebody even said you can do the phone book. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was just great to hear the 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 emotion from your voice. Well,
1: um, uh, it's, you know, when something is beautifully written, it inspires me. (laughs) You know, we actors do our best work when we have the best words to do it with.
0: And you you can't get many uh, better words than (laughs) Poe.
1: No, that's right. So we're thrilled to put this CD out. You know, um, uh, people, Uh, don't necessarily think about spoken word CDs but um, we're launching it we're using this um, uh, particular nostalgia convention to launch the CD. so I hope that it will now find many 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 listeners
0: I hope it does too and I hope um, that maybe you'll record additional
1: yes well now um, yes I'm getting uh, excited at the thought
0: now we kind of jumped the gun and we went to what you, your current project is. But let's, let's go back into the, the past. Yes. And what led you as a child to want to be an actress and, and to go into this. Well, area?
1: Uh, I think that I, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, my parents were missionaries. And so I, my early life was in Burma. And my mother, when we came back to England, England London in the Blitz. Um, was my mother would go to missionary meetings and she'd be dressed in Burmese costume and I, little girl, would be dressed in Burmese costume and I would do Burmese dancing. So that was my first public appearances. And, uh, and uh, you know, I used to love reciting uh, and, um, and when I went to b- school, uh, I loved to be in all the plays and I think that, um, uh, you know, there's a lot in common between the church and the theater. My father was, of course, a, a preacher, and he would uh, communicate, w- uh, You open his heart in a pulpit to communicate and uh, um, touch a congregation, which is the same. I, on a stage, um, would open my heart to touch an audience. And also, from my upbringing, I, uh, I was um, taught to think of life not as a career or a job, but as a vocation. And so I felt that my calling had been, because um, my gift was that when I see words on a page, they come off the page for me. So uh, just like my mother's hands were at home on the piano keys, I am at home with words. And so if that was the gift I was given, that's the gift I must use.
0: And thankfully you actually used that gift because a lot of people have those gifts and, and they don't feel the, um, the drive to do it or, or they're, self, they're, self, they're self-conscious.
1: Right. And so then, of course, you know, you, you have to want to communicate to, uh, um, and touch people and open yourself um, to the world and also be interested in, you know, I spend my life um, imagining what it feels like to be somebody else. And sometimes they say about actors, oh, you're just pretending. Well, it doesn't work if you're just pretending. You have to actually open your own heart so that you can think and feel, um, get inside somebody else's life and understand it. That is the real acting, where it's the histrionic art of changing, transforming yourself into somebody else. You know, there are personality actors who um, are brilliant at... Bringing their own star quality, but I I like to immerse myself in a role so that it's not me at all. It's them. It's her.
0: And, and it, I'm liking you, say, I mean, Like I've seen you do different performances and mm. in on films. I've, I've never seen you on stage except I guess you could say almost briefly with your reading here. Yes, yes. And um, but it was it's just wonderful. Now you went. After your childhood, you moved into uh, theater, uh, uh, yes
1: um when when I
0: started you
1: know in the in the late fifties early sixties theater was it I mean media was happening, but I always thought of myself as a theater actor and I started you know in repertory companies, which is wonderful i i didn 't go to drama school I learned on the job uh, i uh, where if you 're engaged for a season at a a repertory theater, you play some roles you're right for and some roles you're completely wrong for, which means, you know, you, you have to find out. Uh, and um, so I was I was lucky. Uh, the, the profession has changed so radically since I started that um, my young actors whom I teach at drama school now, when I teach Shakespeare, um, they are really having to create their own work. You can't Trust the profession to provide the work, you know, for a living. Um, so
0: it's very different now. Exactly. And I love, my. as most of the people who listen to this podcast know, I love live theater. My daughter graduated in f- with a theater degree. She yes, is um, uh, in the props and the sound stage Yes, up, excellent, excellent, excellent. An and what I love about the live theater, and I have talked to you about this yesterday when we were yes. talking, is... You can see the same performance five days. You can see Monday through Friday. Yes. And it's not going to be exactly the same every time. And that's what I love about it because... It's the, live theater.
1: So anytime you go to a theater, that night it is custom made for you.
0: And the way the audience interacts with the actors and the performance that they're able to pull in and out. And yes. it's just And sometimes you'll see somebody struggling Yes, because you know, everybody has their off day. Yes. And, of course, if you have a normal job, but it's not in front of theater and stuff like that, when you have an off day, nobody sees you have the off day. Yeah, yes, nobody yes. Knows. yes. But when you're there and you have uh, a few, like a thousand people watching, yes. <laughs> it's a little more intimidating. And mm-hmm. then I think it can even make it worse when it's filmed because once it's filmed then that's it. That's it, yes. You, yes. You, and depending on the editor does it, you have no control.
1: <laughs> that's right. I, Theater is my favorite medium because the role is then entrusted to me. Um, I always feel with screen that I my job is to provide the best raw material I possibly can, and then the director is going to shape what it is that you see of my performance.
0: Now, I was looking up your Wikipedia a little bit. And and I I saw something I never knew about you, and it was interesting. It was the Avengers. Ah, yes. Um, uh, uh,
1: The first Avengers, Anna Blackman played a role called Kathy Gale. And a man called Julian Wintle bought the series and uh, cast me to follow uh, Anna Blackman. And it was a new woman who was to be called Emma Appeal, M appeal, man appeal was their reason for that. And uh, so he said to me when he cast me, he said, Elizabeth, we're going to put it on film, not tape. It's going to be 10 times better. And he said, we welcome your own ideas. Well, he shouldn't have said that because he didn't mean it, I discovered, (laughs) because I inundated him with ideas. Uh, and so I lasted until the middle of the second episode when evidently it was decided that I was too much <laughs> and so I was out and Diana Rigg was in so um so I am part of avenger's history um the apparently everything that I filmed was uh wiped uh and sub- she was substituted in there um but there is one still um, of me on a horse with steed, uh, which escaped somehow. So there's one still of me as Emma Peel.
0: There's physical evidence to prove it. It's not just, it's not just, it is out there.
1: And I'm told, somebody told me that there is one scene where my hand appears on the screen. And so I should find out about that and get residuals over the many (laughs) years for my hand.
0: That, w- that would be something that, you know, you'd be like, your hand's been in this, and how many times has it been shown? Yes, that? exactly, that would be yes, yes, uh, yes, Yeah, check. Because <laughs> the Avengers has been shown, I remember watching it over here, it was on PBS. Yes. Right? And I remember, and of course, they they started with Emma appeal, so I never knew there was another Emma appeal Right, right. Until now. Right. And I was just like, whoa. <laughs> I think a lot of our listeners are going to be like... What really? <laughs> mean, <laughs> yes. Look it up. It's there. Yes, it's, yes. It's it's it's, it's on the And
1: p- on the on the internet uh, there are pictures of me uh, various pictures of me in red leather because they were um the uh, publicity shots that were taken before we started uh and that was um so there's me as Emma Peel is either in that photograph
0: or in red leather. Now I'm going to take us to the, the tombalaje, which we talked a little bit about with your reading, but the movie with Roger Corman uh, yes. directing, yes. Um, Vincent Price as your as your co-star.
1: It, Vincent Price was uh, an amazing man. Uh, nobody ever had a bad word to say about Vincent Price. He was a lovely person, but also an extraordinarily accomplished man in many many ways. Um, and uh, a wonderful actor, you know, he, he had a sense wonderful sense of humor, He's a great raconteur, um, but he, uh, he, he would sometimes spoof uh, the horror genre, you know, and I think people underestimated what a wonderful classical actor he was, um, which in the Poe films, and particularly in this one, where uh, the, the, emotion, uh, the emotional stakes are very personal, um, he really reveals himself as a wonderful classical actor.
0: I remember Victoria Price telling in, in one of her presentations how he got his start in the theater in the United Kingdom, in Britain, and he start. I can't remember the name of the show, but he started with Vivian Lee. Uh-huh. And then that springboarded him to Broadway. Broadway, yes, yes. The Helen great, Hayes,
1: oh, yes, yes, Helen yes, Hayes. yes.
0: So he started, you know, at the top in theater. And I remember, Helen, I, th- I think it was Helen Hayes, or somebody gave him the the the, the 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 advice that yes, you could go on to the movies now, but you really want to know your craft, and he wanted yes. to learn his craft, and he yes. stayed in yeah. the theater yes. for years yes. more yes. until he was he felt he was ready. Yes and it shows yes yes absolutely
1: yes no he was a and and he just welcomed me as a fellow actor you know there was no star attitude at all um, and he was an absolutely d- a delight to work with you know and when you work with with uh, uh, such a wonderful actor it brings out the best work in you too. you do your best work as well
0: and I know from hearing your Q&A session I never knew that there was a this other actor this cat oh the cat and yes I did not know yes. if you wanted to share that story cuz that was a that was an awesome story <laughs> well
1: <laughs> yeah, the in um in developing the story uh, so we go from opium dream to mesmerism um which uh is is found to be quite appropriate in spirit uh and then in Poe, the 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 character of the black cat was brought into our film as the uh, the sort of the um, s- the spirit of of Ligeia is in the cat. Um, and on location, uh, b- very unusual for Roger Corman, we had five weeks to uh, uh, to film and a whole week on location in Norfolk. And so the first time that. My I play play both characters, the dead wife Lygia and uh, Rowena, who becomes the second wife. And she uh, finds the abbey is r- r- uh, riding around and sees the tomb of Ligeia, and there is um, the cat perched on the top of the tomb. And uh, that cat was borrowed; it was an amateur cat borrowed from uh, a, a woman in the village of Swaffham. And that cat was the best actor. That cat, the way that cat looked at me, oh, goodness. (laughs) It was menacing. Uh, And later, there's a scene where um, the the coffin is uh, is coming with uh, Ligeia. The cat jumps onto the coffin, and Ligeia, dead Ligeia's eyes, suddenly open. And... Virgin fell, Vincent, as Verdon fell, swipes the cat away, and the cat f- ran away and, and wasn't found. We had to stop filming to try and find the cat. And uh, I, I hope we did find the cat eventually, because that was somebody's precious cat. But that cat was wonderful to to work with, because uh, it entered into the scene because the professional cats. Um, that had to uh, uh, have glasses tied to its face, and or be thrown at me, <laughs> uh, or be thrown at Vincent Price in the very last scenes. Um, the The professional cats weren't up to that uh, uh, amateur cat at the beginning.
0: <laughs> and, and and that's the part that just amazes me. It's just that the sheer luck you get the the right cat at the right time. Ah, and yes. And, and and they say, timing's everything. <laughs> yes,
1: and so that was the first time you see the cat, so that's the indelible image that you have.
0: Now, what was it like working with Roger Corman? I mean, as you said, you had way more time than you normally spend in any movie. Uh,
1: absolutely, and Roger Corman, I mean, such a professional. Uh, what was good working with Roger is that he knows exactly what he wants and is just consummately good at what he does. Um, and uh, so in working with actors, he himself went to the actor's studio to study acting to see what we go through so that he could understand the actor's process. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then he um, would talk in depth before we filmed um, so that everybody was on the same page with a character. We didn't have to waste time on the set talking about it. And then he would entrust the role to Vincent and I. And so we would rehearse among ourselves and, the, and then Roger would be free to, um, to set up the shots and, um, and his expertise is telling the story through the pictures. You know, he has a wonderful eye and the composition, brilliant, and the way in which he chooses a very um, robust, uh, a sort of very verdant color um so that it looks r- luxurious on the screen um he's a um uh, and and also he brought so many people into the film into the, into the film world you know he gave people opportunities at the very beginning young filmmakers who turned into martin Scorsese and Coppola you know he um, r- roger corman uh B- 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 had an enormous influence on American cinema.
0: Oh, yeah, um, Ron Howard, Jack Nichols. Yes, Nicholson, yes, Jack um, so Nicholson. Absolutely. many came through the Corman house, so yeah, to speak. Absolutely, <laughs> and he was very
1: loyal to anybody who'd ever worked with him. Um, and, and was an extremely classy man, you know, because everybody said, oh, schlock, you know. No, Roger Corman was, you couldn't meet a, classier guy than him. Um, I saw him the last time a few years ago, they were showing Nigeria, um at an art cinema in uh, New York and he was to introduce it. So he and I, both of us, introduced *Ligia*. And, uh, and so when I saw him, you know, when he saw me, he opened his arms, gave me a big hug, Elizabeth! So, uh, you know, I was fortunate that, that two very classy men, Vincent Price and Roger Corman,
0: and, and he's another person with that voice. Roger uh, Corman has a distinctive... Uh, yes, he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> and so it's been, I mean, really, it's just kind of interesting how all these... Vincent Price is another person who could read any... Yes, <laughs> yes, he could read the phone book also, yes. And when, and when they were talking about um, when you did your um, reading of Ligia, yes. one of the people gave feedback saying it was like the female version of Orson Welles. I'm thinking... Uh, It's more like the female version of Vincent Price. (laughs) But I also had Vincent Price on my mind. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. I might have been tainted that way. Yes, yes. Now, you did um, another movie that was in the the horror genre. Yes. Um, Damien Omen 2. Damien
1: Omen 2, yes, where I play Joan Hart, who is the first person who knows who the boy is. And so I come to warn... um, uh, William Holden, uh, they another classy guy to work with. Um, and so Damien, when I see Damien and he sees me, he knows that I know who he is. And so he sets the birds on me. And uh, I get my eyes pecked out. It's a spectacularly awful death.
0: Well, for horror films, it has to be, somebody has to have this spectacularly awful death. Yes, yes.
1: And the Omen series were known for their very um, imaginatively um, awful demise.
0: (laughs) Now, you did another movie, Hellboats. Hellboats, yes. I don't know if you get asked about that often. Um,
1: Not so often. Um, It was uh, about Malta in the wartime, set in 1942, and I was the wife of the uh, English um, man who was head of the, uh, the Navy uh, on Malta. And um, f- James Franciscus was sent um, to save the day because my husband was having a nervous breakdown. Um, and uh, I can remember being quite indignant on behalf of the English and the Maltese who were spectacularly brave during the war. Uh, and um, I was told by the present admiral, the, the British were still there when I filmed it. Um, he said, oh, well, yes, we, we, we had to have uh, James Francis, and of course, my character has an affair with him. Um, we had to have him save the day militarily but we insisted that you went back to your british husband in the end <laughs> <laughs> so british manhood was uh was um saved
0: and i just find that i just find, it, I just find it interesting i saw that movie a long time ago it was, it was on tv and i was just like yes and it's interesting because you've done different genres everybody will associate you with the tomb like yes. or damien but not everybody realizes you did other movies oh lots of other movies and yes and yes and wonderful and
1: them. um and James Franciscus, uh, my first, um, I'm, I'm uh, swimming, I'm bathing in the nude. You don't really see that. Um, and he is, the first time I meet the James Franciscus character is on the beach. Uh, and my first line, I wave to him and I say, do you have a dry cigarette? <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, you know, the, one of the later films I made, I was Richard Gere's mother. Um, in uh, Amelia, Mm -hmm. um, about Amelia Earhart. And so I was Hilary Swank's mother-in-law. So yes, I'm still um, working uh, when I'm not teaching Shakespeare.
0: And I think Amelia is an an underappreciated film. Yes, yes,
1: yes, I think so. And of course, I mean, uh, everybody's still speculating about what really happened to Amelia Earhart in life.
0: Yeah, I heard I Heard recently they were talking about that after she perished away on an island that he seeked the, the, um, these crabs or whatever came, these jungle crabs, and took up the, the remains and moved them. And that's uh, why they couldn't oh, find it. So yes, well, yes, I mean, that was just, that was just yes. in the news a
1: couple Quo- weeks ago. Yes, that's so right, it's recently. It's amazing yes. that it's all these yes. decades later and yes. it's still,
0: I, I guess even 100 years from now, people will still be talking about whatever happened to yes. her. Yes, yes, yes. And yeah. nobody will know. And of course, as you said, you do voice lessons. Yes, uh, well,
1: um, I, I teach Shakespeare to uh, acting students and there again, you know, um, when um, you have characters who have um, uh, uh, huge uh, uh, um, emotional journeys, um, the voice is very important. needs to be trained to be, you know, the full range of the voice is very necessary.
0: And, uh, and that's what I'm glad is that you're still Working, doing it because sometimes, and that's why I was saying sometimes, most of the time, actors, when they reach a certain age, it's almost like people forget about you. Yes. And, and, it's, and it's terrible, I feel, what happens to, especially for actresses. Yes, and it's
1: getting better. And, you know, as one knows, that there are various actors, 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 well, I, I still can say actress, but actors of a certain age, female actors of a certain age, who are pushing the boundaries now. And also, being, you know, being cast in roles where they are still romantic and sexual, and um, uh, which I- in life is uh, absolutely true, uh, I can speak personally. Um, but um, my theory at one time was that all the twenty-three-year-old Hollywood producers didn't want to think that their mother was still doing it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I never I never thought of it that uh, way. But well I guess, I guess it it's would one be. way of thinking of it,
1: but yeah, but uh, but <laughs> it's getting better, and the you know there are more. Um, I I belong to subscribe to Women in Hollywood, you know, uh, online and stuff like that. And there's always news about new directors. There are more d- female directors, more women in all aspects of uh, of the filmmaking now. So it's getting better, so that we have the. The, the female the women's gaze not just the male gaze all the time
0: exactly because I, loo- I look at it like with um, harrison ford mm-hmm. who's almost 80 and they're talking about the next indiana jones movie and all oh my things. god and yes and yes i'm thinking which is great and you hear about a lot of the male actors and they're that they're ha- able to still get these roles and i'm thinking yeah. and they're partnered up with Fifty-year-olds. I'm like, wait. If there's a thirty-year difference yes, here, yes, I'm yes. like, well, we had to make you know we we didn't want to go too young. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just <laughs> like, no. You, you should get the best actor or actress for the role. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. And, I, yes, and, and yes, that's what I look um, at it when I'm watching these films because I'm. Yeah. It's just. It's just to me. It's a shame that it's yes. not out there more. But like you said, it's, it's changing. Get, it's getting better,
1: and and you know I think audiences can help us by demanding it saying, we want to see more interesting older women. Um, and uh, um, so it'll, uh, that'll help us.
0: Oh, I agree with you. And just before we finish off, any movies that you watched growing up or now or any time that, you were that, that was like one of your favorites or some of your <laughs> favorites?
1: When I, was, when I was a girl... Um, I I loved Anna Neagle. Um you you you've never heard of her. Uh, no. Um Anna Neagle um was uh, I mean uh, I grew up with Margaret Lockwood and and Jean Kent and uh but Anna Neagle um was in a lot of films that her husband Herbert Wilcox did. But Anna Neagle and Michael Wilding um they made a whole series of films together called um, Maytime in Mayfair and Spring in Park Lane, and I was in love with these films. They were romantic, and uh, you know, the, um, um, uh, uh, and so I had uh, the most enormous crush on her. and um, And the I lived in Brighton, and the Brighton paper had a, um, uh, a competition where they had about. Eight or ten pictures mm-hmm. of oh, Anna Neagle films from the very earliest, and I I entered the competition because I knew them all, and I won. <laughs> it's the, I never win competitions, but I won the Anna Neagle competition, and I got a ten and sixpenny book token. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I was yes I I had my own crushes, and uh, it, it's you know. Um, And this is uh, something where, you know, coming to these conventions, um, and this particular one in Baltimore is one of my favorites because it's so personal, Mm -hmm. and it's not... Some of the conventions have got so corporate now, but here it is friendly and personal, and you can talk to people. And uh, to me, it's really important because, you know, I know that, that... when I'm on screen, I can I don't meet my audience, and I know that watching people on screen, you know, they that if if you are a fan of somebody and it's exciting to meet them, it's up to us to um, to be glad to meet you too, um, and you know, spend time with you so that so that it is it's special. It is special meeting somebody you admire, and it's uh, um, it's up up to I uh, I understand it very well, mm. um, which is why I love to have the opportunity to meet the fans.
0: And I'm glad you took the time to come first to meet. I'm glad Martin Graham's reached out. Yes, and, and yes, invited yes, you to come. yes. Absolutely. He does a great show. I've been to many of his. And I was Vengeance, here a, a few years wonderful. ago,
1: and I'm very very happy to be back. Yes.
0: And I want to thank you for t- taking your time, you know, to um, do this conversation with us. And for listeners going to, again, to yes. Hellboats, you know, Damien, get her CD. There's a lot of work out there. And... And, well, and now thinking uh, of Anna Nagel, I'm actually going to uh, try to find to see if I can Anna Neagle, yes, Nagle, Anna yes, Neagle, yes. And, uh, and and look for s- and see some of these films. I always like hear people recommend, I was like, oh, if somebody likes it, I'm going to give it a try. <laughs>
1: Spring in Park Lane, Maytime in Mayfair, The Courtney's of Curzon Street. Yes, I still remember the names.
0: <laughs> you could probably still win the competition. <laughs> I still win the competition, yes. <laughs> But thank you again. You, you, are, you are just yeah. so gracious with your time. Well,
1: thank you, Steve. I've enjoyed it, and I've enjoyed meeting all your listeners by proxy. So um, uh, if you want to hear a wonderful story, have a look at our CD, Ligeia by Edgar Allan Poe, a tale of mystery and imagination.
0: Oh, that's just wonderful. Thank you again. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed the interview with Elizabeth Shepard. I know I did. It was a pleasure getting to talk to her. And one of the sad things that you guys don't get to to, um, have happen when we do these audio interviews is you don't get to see her facial expressions and her body language as she's going through those different stories. And it just adds extra um, enjoyment to the whole interview process. Um, She did mention about her CD uh, there'll be links available to the Lygia CD in our description notes and also on our Facebook site, so if you want to get a copy, she still has quantities available, whether she can autograph, which I'll have links to that, and also I'll put the links, I think, if you want to just get the audio version, where you can do that too. And um, I have actually have a copy of this CD myself, and it's very enjoyable, so if you're an Eggner Allen Poe fan, it's enjoyable, it makes it a nice little holiday gift. And, again, if you want to have it autographed, you do have that opportunity to get it done that way, too. I think it's $18 for the autographed version. Otherwise, looking forward to hearing feedback from everybody on those, you know, like I said, you can leave us feedback on Facebook or in Gmail. And next week, or later this, I'm sorry, not next week, but in a few days, you'll have our Knives Out review that Ben and I did, which I talked about earlier. Otherwise, not much else to say except remember everything that we do on our episodes is copyrighted by DieCast Movie Review Podcast. So not usable by anybody without our permission. You guys have a great rest of the holiday. And I hope everybody has a great December. And I'm looking forward to doing more episodes for you. Ciao.